podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. A mate of mine was in the army until they caught him eating all the pudding rations and he got shot for deserting. Oh, come on, Lazar. They, no, they, come on. That they, was better. I thought that was, that was good. That After was the so high of Whitney Houston. Houston. <laughs> yeah, I think I feel like I was, I was always going to like collapse and burn. But I thought that was quite good. Medicine, Medicine even made a noise. No. <laughs> Welcome, guys, to The Paddock, a podcast featuring stories following Formula One around the world. I'm Lawrence Barreto, senior writer at F1.com. And I'm Chris Medland, F1 correspondent at Racer. And I'm Nate Saunders, F1 deputy editor at ESPN. Is that definitely your job title? I mean, it has changed every week slightly, (laughs) but, you know, I'll keep people guessing. Yeah, Um, we're going to keep checking each time that whatever you say, we have to verify it. Well, I might just start coming up with a random random job then. Because, you know. Oh, yeah come up with the most inventive ones people can vote for their favorite if you could have any job title what would it be mate a job title yeah oh wow that is yeah um so i used to me and my friends used to do this at university we would go out and we would try and tell people like really random things that we wanted to be and i used to tell people that i was an aero bubble tester for the the chocolate company you know the bubbles and arrows so I, i was like and i came up with the whole backstory like yeah so i'm the guy those bubbles they have to go through me so I sit at the end of the conveyor belt and I have to test the bubbles for like purity, for like, you know, how much air is in them. And if I, if I taste a batch, I'm like, no, no, take them back. There's no, there's not <laughs> enough air in those bubbles. Um, and I th- I'd say that had a, maybe about a 4% success rate of people believing it. <laughs> most, most people just said that's stupid or they didn't find it funny and walked away. It was that Which high. is also, hey, 4%, yeah. High. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember convincing one person specifically that I did it and they're like, that's so cool. That's such a cool job. And, and then asked me loads of really specific questions about the chocolate industry, which I, I, which I wasn't expecting. I was like, oh, shit. And it, I, like, I was like, this person must work for Cadbury's or something. Um, so, you know, if you, if, if you come up with a backstory, you need to really research it. What about you guys, if you could pick one? That's not really mine either. You put me on the spot there, and you guys have had like a, a minute to think about it. No, so did you have to like really work hard at your whole backstory? Like when, when that person asked you about the chocolate industry, were you like, did you keep going and... Yeah, so full disclosure, this was a girl who I might have been trying to chat up. So I was like, I need to commit to this story. Um, and I, I don't know why I didn't just say I'm a sports journalist, because that's much, much more fun than this. Was, you know, this was, a, this was like five years ago. So I was, you know, I, I don't think I was at ESPN. Maybe it was before ESPN. Um, and yeah, I, I just kept coming up with things. And then I was like, shit, did I, say, did I say I started then? Or did I say I started like a bit later? Like, did I say I like promoted my way up? Like I worked my way up the aero industry? Um, so yeah, it just it just crashed and burned. But I think she knew. So I think she was picking holes in it. Oh, very she good. Must, yeah. So I think she must have been like a detective, a chocolate detective, or something like that. That was probably her her fake backstory. So she'd done it before. I was going to say you dairy milked the story, but then it didn't really get there. So never mind. Wow. Yeah, we, mate, we're, we're meant to do those kind of jokes at the start. Of the <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Sorry, that fell flat. I've never had a. Uh... No, all my jokes fall flat, Beretta. This is why we've uh, got Nate to start off the episodes, albeit not based on what happened today. No. Yeah, but you know, I'm 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 bulletproof, guys. You know, sometimes they'll be great, sometimes they'll be bad. I just roll with the punches. You've got to. As a as a as a budding comedian, you have to you have to. You know, <laughs> aren't always gonna laugh. See, that was funny, Nate. Exactly. So damn it. So okay, I'll start like that next week. People listening at this point are like, "What am I listening to? Why aren't they talking about anything?" And where are we going? 
Well, yeah. Well, well Beretto, just... what would be your dream job title if you could have anyone? If um, you could create your own job title? I'd, some sort of um, like tester of travel, yeah. like a, a travel tester. Is it I go out and I like test out a new plane or test out a new hotel and everyone looks after me quite nicely. That's pretty cool. Is that an actual job or is that something you've made? I up? imagine that probably is an actual job, but I've just thought of it just now while you put me under pressure. Nice. Like and it. Looking at both of you, it could actually be a real job, couldn't it? I think so. He's going to have a look. Uh, Adam Hay Nichols does it, I think, basically. That guy. Black, he is king of the blackness, isn't he? Yeah, he's got it nailed. I admire it. At first, I was very jealous. Now, I've actually got a massive load of respect for being able to earn your living that way. Have you got one, Medis? Mm-hmm. I always have a mouthful of tea, so that was lovely. Um, <laughs> that's that's my... your dream job, to have a mouthful of tea. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, yes. Anyone who knows me, I drink tea like it's going out of fashion. But um, mine would be to be a professional fan. People just pay me to go to sporting events just to help fill the seats. But obviously, I'd go to the best ones that they don't need any help filling the seats, but they still pay me to go anyway. So I, this week, I'd be going to the Indy 500. Obviously, it would be a normal world. Um, I'd go to the F1 races I wanted to. I'd go to football games I wanted to, cricket matches I wanted to. Obviously, I'm just so good for the atmosphere that people are paying me to go. That'd be my job. If you went to the Indy 500, though, you'd have to dress up as like part of the bleachers because if you went and sat yourself, they'd be like, you've got to get out of here. Couldn't be so seen. You'd turn up. Yeah, you'd have to turn up looking like the grandstand or something. No, I'd show up with binoculars and call myself a spotter. And mm. that might actually work because there's, there's so many of them up there that they might just be like, oh. But they all have to socially distance, presumably. They can't all just... Yeah, which is why I'd be sitting in a very unusual spot, which would be probably the worst place for an actual spotter to be. I'd be like, well, I'm left field. I'm a Maverick spotter. So Um, there's there's my dream job for this weekend. Maverick Indy 500 spotter for number 34 entry. Okay. There's only 33. There's an Indianapolis joke for everybody. Um, Before we move on, I just want to clarify, my dream job isn't to be an aerobatic person. <laughs> that, was my, that was my fake job. My dream job would be to be an astronaut, uh, but an astronaut who just is constantly flying in space. So you never have to come home. You just like basically Star Trek, but you'd have to wear a spacesuit. You'd never yeah. want to come home. No, because you'd be like exploring and stuff and finding new, new places. But you wouldn't see anyone, mate. Oh, that'd be all right. You, you know, just give me a give me give me football manager up there. Give me a couple <laughs> of games on the PlayStation. Golden. So I don't think they're gonna have broadband up there, mate. Well, I know, but once you've installed the game, it's fine. You just won't be able to play online. Oh, okay. Which he doesn't want to do because he doesn't want to interrupt. No, I've just realised you want to you want to do isolation. Is this what isolation has done to you, Nate? It's made you want yeah. more isolation. Yeah, I want this, but in space. <laughs> <laughs> It was funny. He got asked if he wanted to go to the Spanish Grand Prix and he's like, no, but I do want to just have to do the quarantine on return. Can I just sign up for that part? Yeah. Um, which is what he's doing right now. I am. I've been quarantining since like March the 13th, just, just on my own back. Crikey. Nice. I'm, I like the way that we've all come up with ridiculous dream jobs and people that have tuned in want to hear about what they think is a really cool job that we do. And we're like, ah, nah, screw that. We want to test aero bubbles and be <laughs> on our own in space and dress up as bleachers um well now might but, be a good opportunity to tell them why our job is quite good um <laughs> and oh no medis no well yeah <laughs> but i was more gonna so there was a hint in a previous episode that uh nate gave about nico holkenberg i don't want people listening to think oh this guy hates nico holkenberg i hated interviewing nico holkenberg is probably the fairer the fairer way of saying it 
and there it is from a previous recording through the magic of editing so uh yeah i think we need to delve into nate's running yeah. with the hulk yeah, yeah. Can help. we can fire away so we're going to talk about driver interviews good and bad <clears throat> and my bad one involves nico holgenberg uh and so much so i've told this story so many times that when he came back over the last two races i think i got eight different messages from people going like oh shit like what if hulk gets his podium you're gonna be mad right and i told everyone i was like well I'm not going to be there, but also, you know, it'd be a cool story. But this goes back to two different interviews. The first of which was in Sochi uh, the year after he won Le Mans, which would have been 2016. And it was, it was exactly a year on from him winning that. So we were prepping a piece where I was like, we're just going to talk to him, you know, through the race and just do a feature kind of like, you know, Nico Hockenberg remembers a year on. But I was putting a two-on-one interview, which you guys know, never the best situation because often you're going in with a completely different get a goal in mind to the other guys that are there so i explained to the journalists i was like look i'm, I'm doing a very specific le mans feature so i'll let you ask a few and then i can ask some um but they were there purely to ask like really kind of basic questions about sochi they were russian journalists and they were like what do you think about turn turn two and they'd give a really nice answer and and then i was like i tried to, to explain to them like look you do your questions then i'll do mine didn't work like that so i was like le mans last year like tell me about the prep for that race and he was like oh uh okay and then he played ball for the first one and then just completely shot me down for the next ones. Cause my questions were so out of sync with what the other journalist was doing. I couldn't get any rhythm to it. And it just seemed like I was just asking really random questions. So anyway, that, that, that pissed me off. Cause eventually we, we just ditched the feature because I was like, the quotes were so bad that, you know, Holgenberg didn't give me anything, which again, you know, he's not entitled, you know, he doesn't have to, but it was the, the whole situation just could have been dealt with better. That was when he was at force India. So fast forward to Germany last year, we all know what happened. Awesome race um for lots of different reasons but one of the key moments in that race was him spinning out of i think second or third third yeah yeah and everyone's saying oh like hulkenberg could finally break that record of his um spins out crashes everyone's like classic hulkenberg so the next race is a week later in hungary and you guys know the drill like when something like that's happened that you like circle that time on the press on the on the on our list of times you're like i'm going down to that because that'll be you know there'll be some really good quotes out of that get down there early get the seat right in front of him because that's one of those sessions where because he's german you have english media german media germans come on after us and um but it's just it's, it's usually quite packed so anyway Hulkenberg comes in first questions about the spin and he kind of gives you know very basic answer and then people start asking him about tires and you know hungary and you know is this a good circuit for him? and i was like are you guys like you've all come down here to ask him about this and as i was like trying to find my my moment to ask questions i noticed that the netflix cameras were there so i was suddenly like oh shit like i like this maybe people are playing ball yeah well yeah i was probably doing that anyway because it was a warm you know it was a, that's a warm leg and i'm a quite sweaty man <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna before one of you uh before one of you jumped in i was gonna say that yeah there's two reasons the second reason is probably more important than the, the first one um anyway so i think i that there was a break in questions and i said nico just to go back to last week um you know how how much pressure were you feeling in the race were you thinking a lot about the podium, the opportunity it was, which, you know, is a perfectly legitimate and fair question. And he just went, he just was like, no, no. And so usually when a driver does that, you're like, you go with a follow-up. So I was like, you know, um, does it annoy, yeah. I was like, you know, does it, does it annoy you that, um, people ask this question, you know, people always talk about this podium record and I think the, the problem was I then asked a very clumsy question afterwards, basically like, um, the fact that 
you crashed out, it almost seems to fit that narrative that you can't get it done. Does it annoy you that that kind of lingers with you? And he said, and, and he basically was just like, uh, well, what do you think? And just kept throwing it back to me. And I was like, well, I'm not, I'm not asking you. I, I think I, I was like, well, I'm, not, I'm asking you. And he's like, why are you asking me? I was like, um, really confused about it because I was thinking, well, I'm, am I in the wrong place? <laughs> this is a media <laughs> session for Nico Hulkenberg. And um, yeah, it, it just really, it was just one driver just being completely defensive and evasive to questions. And the, the, the thing that really soured me about it is that when I got up to leave, you know, James, the Renault press officer, said, no, no more questions in English, German time. So we get up, Germans come in. He looked at me, looked to a German colleague and said something and laughed and looked back at me. And I was just like, you know, say, say, just say it to me in English. Like, I'm, you know, I've been insulted a lot in my life. I can take it. Um, so, yeah. So, and then from that point on, I basically I jokingly had like event. I was like, okay, you know, Hulkenberg, I, I, if he doesn't get it, fine. I'm not, not too bothered with it. And so when he left, uh, and this was the quote I thought was going to come and bite me, was when he left and when we were talking about doing this podcast, uh, I think I said, you know, well, I'm still in F1. So needless to say, I had the last laugh. And then, <laughs> and then about three weeks later, Hockenberg was back and we were all thinking he's going to get a podium. And I messaged you guys and said, well, this quote has aged terribly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but now? But now it's aged well again. So it's, 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 it's aged, it's, it's had a funny aging process. But um, yeah, the more I tell it, the less kind of um, bad, like, I, you know, I told it really passionately last year because it was, it really annoyed me. But, um, but yeah, it's not like, you know, maybe if I was in that situation, I would have been the same. If I was Hulkenberg, I'd have been the same. But I thought they were all legitimate questions. So to treat a journalist like that, who's asked, you know, who's just trying to find some human response from you, I think it's a bit shit. And I think it, it, it leaves a sour taste in your mouth. Um, when you deal with those drivers again in future. So have you like made peace now? Are you friends again? Or do you think he's gonna be angry? I see I don't think I mean Nick Holkenberg doesn't tell this story at parties, you know. He's not <laughs> he's not telling the reverse story. I think it's a completely irrelevant moment in his life. If it had been on Netflix, that was the thing I remember telling you guys for months. I was like, man, if that is on Netflix, it's gonna suck because I was like, I, I'd probably come across quite badly because I'm just pushing, I'm just pushing him and pushing him, and I'm probably sweating like an absolute monster <laughs> while I'm doing it. But luckily, they obviously left it on the cutting floor because it didn't make it, um, and that has taken the sting out of it a bit. You 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 escaped the Ben Hunt treatment of exactly if, yeah. If your question is our good, one that fans don't like, our good friend Ben Hunt who who asked that question to Toto and had to put up with couple of days of abuse i was generally i was like well people people will just side with the driver on that you know because people don't really like journalists very much it seems uh, on the whole um i hate them yeah 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 um so yeah i mean I, so, I hope that story lived up to expectations for people listening but basically it it every session i've ever been to with holkenberg as well uh he was just one guy who just did not he, he just would not play ball with my questions he would you know he would always just be like no nope. And I was, like, I was like, did I, have I like wronged you in a previous life or something? You're just, you know, no politeness at all. And you guys will know, like when, when, when you have a good opinion of a driver versus a bad one, it does change the way a bit you interact with them in general, you know, and the way you think of them, you know, rightly or wrongly, that's a human reaction. So, so that's my story. So, also, uh, <clears throat> I want to take this opportunity, Nate, to say that it's not only you who perhaps struggle with Nico Hulkenberg. Um, I interviewed him last year after Monaco in the pen and you only get two questions normally and it's generic. You normally just have to ask them obviously what happened in the race and he didn't have a very good one. Uh, so his, his first answer to me was he just blew like a 15 second raspberry at me and that, and that was it. And I was like, anything else to add? And he was like, 
and then he gave an answer but he just didn't have to be he just didn't have to be difficult like that um, and I've often found that if he's not in the mood like many racing drivers if they're not in the mood then they might decide that they want to make some entertainment for themselves um, yeah. by putting you under pressure um, and he's obviously not he's not the only one who does that um, it just depends yeah. on what mood they're in at that time I think you are unfortunate that the line of questioning before you dug in was forward looking when yes. and then you had to go um backwards and he probably didn't like that but in truth that wasn't your fault that was just the nature of the way the session worked out it you should have your stuff should have gone people should have asked the questions that you wanted to ask because that's kind of what people wanted to know yeah i if i was a press officer i'd definitely be like right tie questions come at the end like technical like questions <laughs> about this weekend we'll do after but get out you know because it flows better then like you say so um matters anyone any drivers that hate you probably a few yeah, plenty. But it was funny you said that. Like Hulkenberg was always difficult um, whenever I dealt with him. But fortunately, when he did his comeback, like, I'm not allowed in the paddock or anything, so I didn't have to directly interact. Um, and he's really nice away from it. I mean, um, you guys know James Moy, one of the photographers who gets on really well with Nico. Uh, and it's just that Nico seems to know what's coming. He's apparently uh, on a Thursday and kind of shows up. And uh, he's one of these that looks at what he's going to get asked and if it's something that he wasn't expecting, then he's kind of like, oh, um, you know, I don't really want to talk about that because I wasn't really ready for it. But most of the time, because he knows it's coming, it actually bores him. So that's why he's a bit um, annoying in those media sessions. Uh, who have I really annoyed? Nico Rosberg was always a tough interview. Yeah, it's Nico's, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Um, the it, And it's Nico's in Russia. I did, I did a one-on-one with Rosberg in 2015, I think it was. Um, it was either 15 or 16 uh, in Sochi. And he just had that whole air of, I want to, um, like, I don't want to answer the questions you're asking me. I, I want to win this kind of, he saw it as a battle that it was like going toe to toe with you. And the, instead of, you know, actually it, it works for us both. If I ask decent questions and I get decent answers, then I can write a good feature and, you know, hopefully you'll come across well. But instead he was like, no, if you ask a question, there's a reason you want an answer to that question. So I'm going to think of making sure I don't give the answer that you want. And I'm not talking about tabloid style. I'm as simple as, you know, um, how, how have you managed to, you know, take the fight to Lewis this year so effectively? And he'll be like, hmm, I wouldn't say I have. And he'll be like, yeah, you've got to think about it in a totally different way. And uh, I don't think you're capable of understanding that. <laughs> that would be the sort of answer. Um, so that was a that was a really annoying one. I remember that. And I remember at one point in the interview going to him, like, you love this, don't you? And he was like, what? And I was like, this kind of um, almost making this a battle or making this like uh, competitive, even in an interview. You, you, you're not sat here relaxed, being honest. You're not yourself. Um, and he, I seem to think then it didn't, I remember mentioning it and thinking this might backfire. And he didn't really warm to it, but he also just answered it in the same way he answered everything else. So I was like, oh, okay. Um, so Maybe yeah, that's the moment that he so won good. the title because he went home, he went back to, he looked in the mirror and he was like, Nico, you do take things too seriously. You know, you got to change, you got to change, change things up, change the approach. I think it's the reason he retired because he was like, yeah. that, that guy was right. I'm not myself. I'm not being true. <laughs> Everything's a battle. I don't want it to be anymore. Um, so yeah, I, I caused that epiphany. Um, but now most of them have been fairly good. I had a funny run in with Felipe Massa in India in 2013 or 2012. I can't remember which one. 2012. It's only my second race. I'd done Spa with ESPN um, in, the, in the time before Nate. 
and uh and then i went to india for my second race and got there and master had just been given a one-year contract again the whole in the same way that bottas keeps getting one-year extensions felipe was getting them and uh alonso had a five-year deal at this point or something stupid and i said to felipe in his first press conference afterwards because a lot of people were saying how great it was that he signed his new deal to the and i was like well this is a guy that nearly won them the championship already uh had been through hell with his injury had been a, an excellent number two um to Alonso when Ferrari had called on it, even though I think it was pretty poorly done in 2010 in Germany. So I was like, he deserves a little bit more. If he's, if he's fulfilling that role perfectly, I felt he deserved a bit more credit than a one-year deal. So I said to him, I was like, are you happy with that? Or does it kind of frustrate you that it's only for one year and you know, Fernando's here for another five and this sort of thing? And he, yeah, he sort of kicked off. He started laughing, but then talking to everyone else in the room, being like, this guy, can you believe this guy? Like, I've just signed a new contract and already he's asking about the next one and can't even, you know, can't even think about the here and now and but was laughing in an answer to them about me, if that made sense, because I was to one side of the room. And I was stood there like, one, quite like, you get, you feel the pressure on you. Like everyone else is obviously then laughing along with the driver, but a few are like, mm, I think that was a legitimate question to be fair. And I remember that and thinking, what a dick. And then uh, about a week or two later, I was in Abu Dhabi and had a different question for him and he gave a really good answer. And I remember thinking then, I was like, oh, he got it out of his system. It's not, it's not holding it against me. And I always got on really well with him after that. So I think drivers are completely entitled at the right time to not like it, our questions or mm. not want to play ball. They're allowed a, an off day or whatever. Like everyone has them. Uh, but it's the ones, like you said, with Hulkenberg that then carry that forward. And someone like Kimi Raikkonen does that. I don't know if... You've had that Pareto. I think you seem to get on all right with him. But for some people, I think there's no getting through to Kimi. Like, if he doesn't like you because of a question you've asked in the past, he will never like you. Um, I think he probably will remember the question if he didn't like it. Um, but I don't think he holds a grudge. I think his, with Kimi, if you don't ask a sensible question or you don't seem like you know what's going on, or you ask him a question where you're asking him to predict something because he just doesn't like making predictions because he just thinks it's pointless because <clears throat> he doesn't know what's going to happen. So he doesn't want to come out and predict something. Um, I think he's actually very good. Um, I think he gives thoughtful answers and he's not, if he has been media trained, he's ignored it and he just says what he thinks. And I think as a journalist, that's like the best you can hope for. Yeah. Okay. Sometimes he does give silly answers or give really short answers or, if you have asked him a question the week before that he didn't like, he probably will point out that in his answer the next time around. Um, but I think like it doesn't, maybe it's because I haven't had a problem with him. It doesn't seem to bother me that much. I've just remembered actually with Kimmy when I was hosting the um, F1 press conference once uh, in Austin when he won his final race for Ferrari. And he came in and sat down for the press conference and he was obviously sat in the middle and uh, Verstappen and I can't remember who else was on the podium that day, but they weren't there yet. And so I was sat waiting to host it. And Kimmy just looks down at me and goes, do you have a son? And I was like, what? And, and by then Max had walked around and was, was kind of like half listening to this exchange. He was like, Kimmy was like, do you have, do you have a son? And I was like, no. And Kimmy was like, oh, huh. <laughs> so Max is like, look at it, you've terrified him now. Like to me, I'm there like, what, what is this? And Kimmy's like, oh, there's a, a kid outside, like hanging around at the front that looks like he'd be your son. And, and I was like, not that I'm aware of. I was like, <laughs> and, then, and then Max was like, what did you do here a few years ago? <laughs> and then I'm racking my brains out, my history in Austin sort of thing. Um, and, uh, and Kimmy 
for once was laughing about it then too. He's like, oh no, I thought it was yours. And then yeah, going to Max, like, oh uh, yeah, he, he doesn't, he's not aware of it, but he's got one. Um, and it, yeah, it wasn't funny enough. It wasn't my kid. It was someone else's kid who was waiting for Kimmy outside um, to get a uh, signed cap or something. So that's why it stuck with him. But yeah, absolutely terrified me. But that was probably the best exchange I've had with him. Yeah. So, um, I think the fact that he scared the life out of me was um, one of the reasons that he seems to be all right when I ask him questions. But uh, in Austin as well, actually, I had another bad interview with someone that no one would expect. But Daniel Ricardo. Oh, oh. And it, it wasn't for... I've had two bad ones in a sense with Daniel, but it's never for... It's never something that he's doing towards me. But we had, uh, for F1 Racing Magazine, set up this really cool interview um, through Aston Martin, where we got a couple of nice Astons, and they were going to be the driver's cars for the weekend, and basically toured Austin with Daniel. And it was to get some really cool shots, and you know he obviously loves that place, and it was like, right, we'll go to some different areas. So we went down, um, I think it's East Cesar Chavez, kind of like East Austin, and um, did Rainy Street and stuff like that, just kind of the cool places to get pictures. And I'd set everything up, got the car outside waiting for him Thursday morning before going to the track, but about an hour to drive there. Roof was down, ready for some really good pictures. We had a like, camera car to follow us. And he comes out and he's got a scarf around his uh, neck and he gets in. He's like, oh no, I've got to put that up and put the roof straight up. He's like, oh man, I, you know, I feel rough. I've got a cold. So he was low. He still gave decent answers like talking, but he was low and he wasn't like bubbly. So then it meant we couldn't get any photos of him driving the car very easily. So we had to like pick a few times where we asked him just to drop it quickly, but it kind of ruined the whole premise of way, the way we were doing it. And then I had another one in Austria where we did it on the, the old DC six that Red Bull owned, um, and flew to, we were flying back from Salzburg to Zeltberg, which was so, so cool, but he's a terrible passenger. If there's any turbulence and we're flying really low through the, mountains and hills and he couldn't focus on answering any questions because anytime there was a little bump he was bricking it and p- part of the interview included him saying he was touching cloth like he was really really struggling so um but then that really throws you off your game as well and if you had a, an interesting line of questioning about his future or racing at that point I think it was with fiat but you know beating seb or stuff you want to get really in depth to one you can't hear any of the recording over the engine sounds and two he just couldn't get through a full sentence before yeah. he needed to brick it so um yeah sometimes it's not our fault or the driver's fault it's just a situation yeah Nate, have you got any good interviews because i feel like we've lowered yeah. the tone with some bad interviews yeah no I'm, I'm mine is also austin so last year i um got the chance to do a mclaren supercar lap and this then will lead into uh, a famous and iconically bad not not bad interview but moment in my in my career that has become immortalized by Chris and a gif. But the first one in Austin, it was me and Lando. It, it came together quite late. Charlotte from McLaren messaged and said, look, we've got a space for the hot laps later uh, in like two hours. So I was like, yeah, sounds great. And they, they film that, they give that to you, you know, you can use that on the site. And I was like, what, what can I do? And I, you know, cause you guys have done it before and it's actually, it's over so quickly. You don't really get a chance to really ask anything in depth. And if you do, they're so focused on driving that they don't really, you know, often they don't give you a good answer. So I was like, I'll just ask quick fire questions. So it was either or. So it was, you know, James Bond or uh, Jason Bourne type, you know, stuff like that, where it's, it's all, it's, it's pretty low ball stuff, but it's also quite fun. Cause you're also, you know, you're looking terrified in the car and um, yeah, Norris just absolutely like tore the circuit up. It was such a cool like thing to do. Um, and watching it back after I was like, that's probably one of the best interviews I've done. The funny thing with that was, is that because I had the helmet on and Lando, like you get out and someone else gets in, the next day, Lando came to his media session. I was like, oh, I enjoyed that lap yesterday, Lando. And um, he looked at me like, what? What lap? 
because obviously to you, you're like, oh, I just had a lap with Landon Norris. But to him, he's like, well, I just had four different, I just did lap with four or five different people. So it doesn't, doesn't always stick out. Um, but that was really good. And um, it's one of those ones that it was, I think it, it took about maybe two minutes, but um, you get more, you get more sometimes from those little moments than you do from a 15 minute sit down, which is good. I want, I want the gift story. Give people the gift story, Nate. Yeah, the famous gift story. So if any of you have seen when there's a red flag, Chris Madland will share a gif of a journalist in a car with another driver putting his arm out to shake hands and be completely ignored. That's me. Um, had it a hot lap. McLaren said, you know, you can, you can have a lap of Hockenheim 2018. Uh, but it was with Rudy Van Buren, who just won their world's fastest gamer competition. And I was the first guy in with him. So he obviously was also kind of new in the car, hadn't really, you know, hadn't learned all the, just all the little things you, you need to know in a car, you know, when you're setting off and stuff. But I, I was also bricking it because I was like, this guy is, has got this job based on gaming. He's not driven actual cars. So I was like, oh, you know, he thinks if he crashes, it just, you know, he just restarts on the track again. So I was like, I hope he, I hope he can drive normally. And he can, you know, Rudy's, Rudy's a very good driver. But as I got in, obviously, again, we're being recorded. I put my arm out and said, Rudy, like, um, hey, mate, how's it going? My arm's up. And it just lingers there for like five seconds, five, ten seconds. Um, and yeah, he just left me hanging. And I then look at the camera like David Brent <laughs> at the office. And then he, he said, because he was looking in the mirrors and the mirrors were smaller than he thought they were, he was just making sure there was no one moving because, you know, McLaren have a car, Mercedes have a car, etc. So, um, yeah, it, I, but, and I, I told the guys about it when I came back and I was like, the interview was okay. Cause you know, we chatted a bit and I was, I was so like blown away by how good the experience was. I didn't really ask any questions at that time. Um, but I came back and I said, I'm pretty sure the moment at the beginning is one of the funniest things you're ever going to see just because it was so awkward and, and uncomfortable. And uh, it was, and it still lives. It's, it's lived for two years now, two into its third season as a, as a gif. To be fair, uh, people are tiring of it. I've had a lot of abuse. Um, not this year yet, because I think everyone just missed it so much. But um, yeah. yeah, it got a lot of abuse, I think, last year. Where people were like, can you come up with a new gif? But we have a lot of you. Um, and I do have a clip where you managed to uh successfully shake hands with Rudy Van Buren in Austin at a, a party <laughs> last, after the race so last year yeah and I think that should be the green flag gif uh there <laughs> is a green, no the green flag gif was you dancing in a pub um after England had won on penalties against Colombia in the World Cup in 2018 oh yeah yeah and that yeah. was um that's quite old as well well then you need to give us more material need more material yeah <laughs> freshen out Nate come on work on it <laughs> while you're in isolation I can't in isolation yeah in isolation <laughs> no one's looking at videos of me ever so hence the space dream <laughs> can't be a gif in space so chaps that seems like a good opportunity to call it a day today thanks again for your time it's been a pleasure hopefully someone else was listening and it's all been worth it um six instead of five this week <laughs> yes. yeah but that's baby, a game though that's a net game baby's a big gang. Big and percentage we, gain. And we should mention here that we were P3 in Bahrain, like P3 on the podcast mm. charts. Yeah. So, Massive. Big. So thank you to everyone in Bahrain for listening. Um, so anyway. <laughs> the rest uh, of you, not so much. <laughs> no, everyone else. No, you know what I mean. Um, right. Thanks, chaps. Thanks to Chris um, and to Nate. And uh, I guess I'll thank myself. Uh, you can Thanks, Laz. <laughs> Thanks, Laz. Uh, you can read Nate's stuff on ESPN.com. You can read Medlin's stuff on Racer.com. And you can read my stuff on F1.com. Chaps, let's do this again sometime.
Social Podcast Network.